Hi, this is the Seattle Mama Doc Podcast, and I'm Dr. Wendy Sue Swanson. We all work so hard to perfect how we pull off parenthood, and often we may not feel good enough. I'm here to help you face these challenges head on. All right. This podcast is going to detail a little bit of the science and safety around vaccinations, not new to those of you who listen to me blab on and on about it, but I'm here and re-recording information in some ways that I've recorded in parts in other times because of the new time really in 2017. I think we've heard lots of anti-vaccine sentiment, and I think we're hearing more kind of anti-science nomenclature and words and ideas in the media and press kind of end because of politics really in this early part of 2017. And I think it deserves a bit of clarity about pediatrician passion for vaccines, trust in vaccines, and our ongoing daily work to help families understand the opportunity of protecting their kids. So Part of this really started, and I think there's this new time in 2017, because of a couple of things. In January, President Trump talked about the possibility of Robert Kennedy Jr. kind of chairing a vaccine safety commission um, and looking at kind of the the idea of having a non-science believer and a a um, non-vaccine supporter kind of looking into a, a new commission. There was huge public outcry online and at kind of policy levels, but of pediatricians and family docs and public health advocates who kind of went up against it. And he was never put in that place. But it was followed swiftly by this ridiculous toy kind of or tactic that, you know, Kennedy partnered with Robert De Niro, kind of a known vaccine questioner and said, oh, okay, we're going to offer a $100,000 reward for anyone who could turn up a study showing that vaccines are safe. Well, how ridiculous in the sense that there are countless studies and aggregated studies that say um, that have really kind of dove into what are the benefits of vaccines, what are the risks, and and what's the balance. So there were all sorts of people who came forward saying, of course, we can prove that vaccines are safe. And I've yet to hear how many people are receiving this $100,000 award. I'll happily submit this podcast as um, exhibit A for my um, (laughs) opportunity for the prize. Although I'm not a vaccinologist, I'm a pediatrician who looks to the science and the advisors in public health to do it. But I mean, because of that, I think parents are starting to feel a new sense of unease that we were just kind of getting over in the last decade around vaccine science and safety. And the facts are, you know, nine out of 10 parents in the United States vaccinate their kids on the schedule that pediatrician and family docs and nurse practitioners recommend. Um, But we know there are people that are still kind of biting their lip when they do it and have concerns and worries that someone who's not vaccinated is safer. But there's really no question that a child who's unvaccinated and living in a population, they are protected and they're safer in their population because they live in a vaccinated population. And, and, and nobody likes hearing this, but there is kind of a freeloading philosophy on that in a child. Now, we do that all the time for kids who are too sick to be vaccinated, kids who are undergoing steroid treatment or chemotherapy or have underlying immunodeficiencies or vulnerabilities that make them more susceptible to severe illness, like even cystic fibrosis. So, you know, there are children and people in our community that are really vulnerable to the effects of getting an infectious disease and having a really serious illness with it, a hospitalization, or even death from it, that that ride on, thankfully, the reality that they live in a population where almost 90% of people are immunized. 
But I think, you know, just as we as parents think about this, I guess, I think as people start to feel unsteady because of these kind of silly things floating around the media that are, are not true about vaccines or even this purport that, like, you can't prove that they're safe. We, we do prove that they're safe over and over and over again, as do our children who are vaccinated um, and our communities who are vaccinated. I think people start to falter. But I, I mean, if I look at it in Washington state right now, you know, if you look at the data from the 2015-2016 school year, about 85 percent of all kindergartners were really up to date on all their required immunizations. And in our state, we can have philosophic and religious exemptions. You just have to have a physician or your health care provider sign a form that you understand the risks that you're taking. And, you know, I think the only thing to note that 2014, 2015 was the lowest year of completed vaccination since 2010 with approximately 83 percent. So, I, so I, you know, we're kind of bumping around and we've had good strides in the last couple of decades. But I think there's concern from pediatricians, no question, like I'm on listservs and in groups of pediatricians that are really worried about this new time and what might happen in the next couple of years. So I think as we go forward, it's kind of like, well, who are parents and kind of characteristically personality wise around vaccines and how do we help how do I help you or how do we help each other, you as a parent to parent who can talk to other families, understand? I mean, so I, I actually was looking at research online and, and part of the resources of kind of who are vaccine hesitant families and who are families in general. And I, I liked a grid that I found online at the American Journal of Health Behavior from 2005, this data and kind of describes, well, that really clearly the far majority of families, almost 80 percent of families are, are, excuse me, more than 80 percent of families are really on the side of vaccines. So if you break it down, like a third of families, about 33% of parents say they're vaccine advocates, meaning they're going to go to school, they're going to talk to friends at play groups and at, um, you know, school events and say, like, I really want your kid to be immunized. I really believe in vaccines. So a third of us are vaccine advocates. I'd, I'd put myself as a parent in that. I mean, I'm in that as a pediatrician. But um, and then there are these kind of go alongs about a quarter of families, 26 percent kind of say, like, yeah, I'm going to get the vaccines, but I'm not going to go and fight the fight out there. I'm not going to write messages on Facebook. I'm not going to write letters to the school board. I'm not going to put pressure on people, but I'm going to do it because I believe in them. And then they're just kind of health advocates, a quarter of parents that are saying like, yeah, I have concerns about side effects to vaccines, but I really believe and trust consensus. And I believe what my pediatrician says or my family doctor or nurse practitioner advises me to do. So if you add that up, 33 plus 26 plus 25, I mean, we're in this like mid 80 percent of families that really are on the side of vaccines. And then there are these kind of fence sitters, about 13 percent that say like, oh, I'm kind of nervous. I need more information and education. And then there's really just only three percent of the population that says I'm really worried about vaccinations. And the reason I bring up all that data is that I think those worried and those fence sitters are getting more sound like they're getting more airtime than the majority of people who trust. And I think it kind of distorts what it feels like. It, start, it starts for us to feel like, gosh, it's like half the families are worried about vaccines around us. It's like, it's not true. You know, there's really probably only 15% of people around that are even questioning the science and safety of vaccines. They just have these loud voices. And then someone like Robert De Niro, who's a massive celebrity and has got deep, deep pockets, puts up this ridiculous claim. And the media picks it up because it's something to write about. And they'll get lots of clicks and views. And lots of people will click in and read it. And it's good for media. But of course, it's, I don't I don't think it's good for parents and I don't think it's good for public health. So, I mean, I just think we get this kind of really distorted view in this time. And so I, I, the other thing, I, I just think that I, I'd love to help you understand that you're, if you trust vaccines and if you're an advocate, 
I think one of the most powerful things you can do is speak out about it, saying, I trust vaccines. I know there are side effects, like it hurts my kid's arm. They can get a fever. You know, rarely, for example, after measles, mumps, rubella vaccine that we give at age one and age four, you can have a change in your blood counts in about one in 30,000. I mean, that's the next biggest side effect to fever and soreness in the arm. So, you know, and that's very rare and not typically life-threatening, but it happens in one in 30,000 children. I'll probably never see that side effect in my lifetime as a pediatrician because I'll never get to see 30,000 kids in total. But that's like the next most common one. Or, you know, with flu vaccine, I think, you know, families lose trust because they're like, well, this year, as we've heard, it's about 50% effective at preventing a person who gets the shot from getting influenza virus. Now, you could say like, oh, that's just a flip of a coin. We shouldn't even do it. Well, of course you should do it. The risks of flu vaccine are very, very low. Sometimes you get a little mild fever. You get soreness in the arm when you get it. The benefit of having at least a 50% likelihood of not getting influenza if exposed to it that's awesome still. It's not perfect. It's not 100%. Meaning, more like, for example, measles, mumps, rubella vaccine, when you look at that and the protection against measles, 99% of people who get their two doses will never get measles. It's such an effective vaccine. And flu vaccine, for all sorts of reasons that many of you are familiar with, each year changes because the strains of flu change that come around. And then the vaccine that's developed, you know, we do our best to create it so that it's most effective. But I mean, I would always stand in line for a flu vaccine if it decreased the likelihood of me getting it by 50%. Sometimes it'll work and sometimes it won't. But when it does, thank goodness. We just don't take credit. We don't even notice when we don't get the flu. We just notice when we do. So a couple of things just to close out. I'd love to just talk about, you know, when you look at research on kind of common concerns around vaccinations, I want to review four common concerns on vaccinations and some of the data-driven points just for you to feel comfortable and potentially even use them in that kind of peer-to-peer, parent-to-parent language. If you're a vaccine advocate, sharing information like this um, with other families will both protect your own child, but also protect other children. I mean, as a reminder, right, when your child's vaccinated, it protects your child, but it also protects all the people in the community who are vulnerable and all the people even in the community who are not from not getting exposed to an illness because your kid doesn't get it. And so they don't cough at school and spread it to somebody else. Okay. Four concerns that are common. So the, the concern about vaccines, um, causing learning challenges or causing the development of autism spectrum disorders. And as so many of you know, this has been refuted. It has been turned upside down. It has been never found in a study that vaccines cause autism. This all started way back in 1998 when that guy in England named Andrew Wakefield published an erroneous study. The study has since been pulled from the literature. I mean, you can't find it anymore because the Lancet, the original public public, you know, the original medical journal that published has removed it, and 10 of the 13 authors have retracted their alliance with it and the findings. So, number 1, that study that started this whole hoopla doesn't even exist anymore because it was not fact-based. It was an error that it was ever published. The other thing that families get concerned about is the idea of thimerosal, a preservative used in vaccinations, causing autism because it was in the MMR shot. Clearly, I want to, I want you to hear this, and just so you know this, so you can share with other families, thimerosal was never in the MMR shot. It was never an ingredient in that vaccination. So that's just a wild myth that got circulated on the internet, and, and you know, in part because of the kind of Jenny McCarthy story when she went in mid-2000s and went on Larry King Live and said, my kid got the MMR vaccine, and he, the light went out of his eyes, and he became autistic. And then people started linking that to ingredients and to preservatives, and erroneously, people kind of misunderstood that MMR had thimerosal and all these things. So clearly, thimerosal preserver was never used in the MMR vaccine. And since it's been removed from all childhood 
childhood vaccines, the only vaccine that your child could possibly get in their childhood that has thimerosal is a multi-dose flu vaccine. And if you really clearly don't want that, many states like Washington State don't even allow thimerosal, in, particularly in young kids. Um, but the reality is autism rates have continued to go up since thimerosal has been removed from vaccines. So if you think about it that way, again, it's more information that thimerosal isn't what's to blame. I mean, I think the frustrating and, and kind of depressing reality and fact is that we don't know what causes all of autism. We know what causes about a quarter of autism, which is genetics and susceptibility, but we don't know what causes all of autism. But we do know that it's not vaccines. Spending more research time, more research dollars, and more airtime in the media talking about the, the false claim that vaccines cause autism is just never going to be good for our kids. Okay, next uh, myth or claim or concern that I want to review um, is that it's safer to space out vaccines and it's safer to lay vaccines than it is to get them on the schedule that's included. Okay, I can't say this more clearly, that it makes no sense, okay? And when you when you interview patients and families who use what are called alternative schedules and you or who use what are called delayed schedules, right, where you just kind of wait to get your child the vaccine, about half of families who do that make up the schedule themselves. So instead of using science and using all the research that goes into figuring out how to best protect public health and kids' health, Parents are just kind of making up on their own based on kind of what they're concerned about and fearful of. But the fears may be maligned and they may be misinformed. And, and the reason being that we don't have a single study in academic medical research that shows that a delayed schedule, so waiting on vaccines, or that an alternative schedule, opting into some and opting out of others, is any safer for children. Meaning we don't have a study that says kids are less likely to get autism when you do that, or kids are less likely to have fever response when you do that, or less likely to have any of the side effects. Not a single study shows that spacing them out or waiting is any safer. And I'll just say, there are side effects to vaccine. It includes rash. It sometimes rarely includes an allergic response. It sometimes rarely um, you know, includes something like, for example, in teenagers, like fainting, which we don't think is even about the ingredients, it's just about being a kid and getting overwhelmed and not liking the pain and passing out. But those side effects are real and they continue. And so you'll still get the side effects of vaccines when you space out the schedule, but you just get more risk because you've exposed your child to longer periods of time where they could get an illness that is vaccine preventable. And I have no question seen many kids who've had flu because their parents delayed the vaccine. I've seen kids who've had meningitis from H flu, Haemophilus influenza, a vaccine that we give in the infancy time because their parents delayed. I've seen patients in my own practice get terrible chickenpox infections because their parents opted out of chickenpox vaccination or varicella vaccination. This happens and it's real. And they're, they're not necessarily any better. And these kids go through these awful illnesses and can have side effects um, because of that. So just there is no science to spacing out vaccines. I think parents have been misled. I think they feel somehow that it's safer, but it's just not true that it's safer. And unfortunately, I think parents then have this feeling that it's safer and they walk around feeling better. But I think it's, it's all myth-based. Okay, number three, um, you know, I think people raise their hand, and I think this is this is a really this is really co complicated. But I'm just going to bring up that they raise their hand on saying, "This is my liberty. This is personal choice. This is my rights as a parent to make the decision about immunizing my child or not." And at, at first blush, I especially as someone who studied bioethics, like I, I completely agree that, you know. In general, children's strongest and best advocate is their parent, and they will do anything and everything to protect their child into long adulthood and late, late elderly years as best they can. But the difference between vaccination and opting into medicine or opting into surgery are great. 
And that is, of course, when you immunize your child, you're protecting your child. You're injecting them with little proteins and what are called antigens to expose them and trigger their immune system to mount up a big army of defense so that if they're ever exposed to an illness, they've got an army to fight back. But when you do that, you then decrease the likelihood that your child gets the infection, thank goodness, and you also decrease the likelihood, right, that they're a vector, that they can share it to somebody else. So when you make a decision about your child taking a medicine, and you make a decision about with a surgeon, for example, or maybe getting your child surgery, which of course comes with all sorts of risks and hopefully great benefit, it only affects your child. But when you vaccinate, you affect the whole population. So this kind of, this teasing out and the hard challenge here is the, what is a personal liberty and a family liberty? And then what are the obligations of all of us in public health to protect the vulnerable, which includes babies or those who are immunosuppressed or the elderly um, from these infections that we know we can prevent with vaccines and we know the vaccines are safe. I mean, the Institute of Medicine report that looked at over a thousand studies came so clearly on the side of vaccinating populations because the risks to a population and the costs to a population of suffering and illness and even money were so far greater when you didn't vaccinate than when you did. So I don't know, when you think about this personal choice, I mean, what's interesting in the last year, because, you know, it's in Mississippi and West Virginia, and now the state of California since July of 2016, you can't take a religious or philosophic exemption from vaccines and go to school. So more states are getting forthright to say, you know what, we don't want to put our kids at risk at school to get outbreaks. We know that, for example, you're more likely to have an outbreak of whooping cough in a community that isn't as up to date. And the 2014 measles outbreak that started in Disneyland, we know really clearly that if you're under immunized or you have a population that doesn't have as much of that vaccine, you're much more likely to get measles as well. And and the vulnerable population for measles includes babies because we don't immunize until kids are a year. So, you know, I think thinking about personal liberty and thinking about opportunity, it's a really complicated conversation. It's worth talking to your pediatrician about it if you've got questions. And some people will just opt out of vaccines because they believe that's their right. And then they'll, you know, homeschool their children or think about different avenues. And and that's, we're never going (laughs) to change everybody. And I think it's a really important conversation to have. But I think we just have to remember that vaccinations are just very different than other medical decisions because the implications on the population are so different and vast. And I stand on the side of Um, really wanting parents to have support of a partner and a pediatrician to have these conversations. I don't ever want to excuse patients from my practice because they make different decisions than I want them to. Um, But I think that, um, you know, the Academy of Pediatrics, for example, has gotten stronger supporting getting rid of exemptions for religious and philosophic beliefs as they feel more and more saying the way that we're going to keep children really healthy, the way we're going to keep populations healthy is to make sure that populations are immunized. Okay, lastly, I want to talk very quickly about... um, ingredients. So people, for good reason, think carefully about what they're putting in their baby and what they're putting in their child. And when you have a really healthy kid, the act of injecting something with a needle in them feels, I think, just instinctively unsettling. So people have pointed to ingredient concerns as reasons to opt out or delay vaccinations for a really long time. And I think it makes a lot of sense that people do that. But people have also misunderstood why some of the ingredients are there. So I already talked about thimerosal. So thimerosal is an ingredient that, again, is only used in multi-dose flu vaccinations that are used typically to older children or just adults. And formaldehyde is, in some ways, been talked about as a preservative, but it's not exactly what it is. Formaldehyde, for example, is in multi-dose flu vaccinations so that the flu itself, the virus and the particles of that dead virus can't actually cause the flu. So it's there so that the vaccine works, but so that the vaccine doesn't cause harm. The amount of formaldehyde that you get from a vaccination is minuscule to the amount of formaldehyde you can even get in the foods you eat and the environment that we walk around in every day. 
Um, other ingredients that people worry about, I'll hear about, is aluminum. Again, the amount of aluminum that's in certain vaccinations is minuscule compared to the amount of aluminum we get playing in the dirt, living on the planet, um, eating foods in the environment that have aluminum in them. So again, the amount and the, the source of that is extremely low. And data and scientific study and all the research on vaccines really kind of proves that and bears that fruit. And then again, um, preservatives. So there's a difference in, you know, thimerosal concerns typically come from families who are concerned about the amount of mercury in that, in the, um, in the vaccination itself. And there's a difference between ethyl mercury and methyl mercury. And, and, the, and the bottom line of this is the amount of mercury that you could get from a minuscule amount of thimerosal in a multi-dose flu vaccination is so small and so non-important in the way that when we worry about the amount of mercury, for example, in fish and how it sticks around, like, for example, when you're pregnant, you try to decrease the amount of fatty fish you eat because there's mercury that are stored in the fat of those fish. It comes into your body and sticks around in your body, and we don't want a developing fetus to be exposed to it. Ethyl mercury is very different. It's cleared from the body within one to two weeks. It doesn't stick around. So the amount of mercury is minuscule in a preservative like thimerosal in a multi-dose flu, but then it's cleared from the body within one to two weeks regardless. doesn't stick around and isn't potent. That's a little bit about ingredients. Just to close, I just want to just affirm, like, families refuse and get concerned about vaccinations for such good intent. They want to do what's right for their kids. They're concerned because they want to preserve their rights and their autonomy as parents, which I think they should always think about. They're concerned about immune overwhelm, the idea that maybe their baby's too small to get these vaccines. We know that's not true. We know babies playing on the ground exposed to dirt and fungus and mold and yeast and bacteria and virus. Their immune system is so dramatically complicated and mature already at infancy and birth that they can can tolerate it. But families worry about that. I think families worry about the uh, safety and the illusion of safety that they get in delaying and spacing out vaccines. And of course, parents, as I just reviewed, are concerned about ingredients and they're concerned about effectiveness. There's no question that you should be cautious and careful, but I just want to acknowledge that right now these anti-science stories in the media are not going to do us any good to keep our kids healthy and safe. And pediatricians like me and parents like me are fired up and passionate because we're worried that parents are going to deny their kids the opportunity of wellness prevention and protection, I think, because of this time of anti-science stories. I hope this helps. If you're an advocate, go out. If you're a go-along, keep getting your kid vaccinated. And if you're one of the worried or fence-hitters, keep talking to your pediatrician and keep looking for good resources on how you can protect your kids. And keep asking questions so you can rest easy at night. If I can help, reach out to me at Seattle Mama Doc or find me on Twitter or Facebook. The reality is parenting is such a high-stakes job. But the good news is you've got this. Thanks for listening. The Seattle Mama Doc podcast episodes air every single week. I'm always interested in hearing what you have to say, what was helpful, and what you want to learn more about. Reach out to me on Twitter at Seattle Mama Doc, on my Facebook, Seattle Mama Doc, or at seattlemamadoc.com. Tell me what you want to learn. Tell me if you want to join me and point me to experts you'd love to learn more from. 